Good afternoon, everyone. My name is my name is Matt Horton, and I'm a director at the Milken Institute's California Center. The Milken Institute is a nonpartisan, nonprofit economic policy think tank, and we're excited to be partnering with Cal Matters to bring you this series of conversations, which aims to explore the state response, recovery, and resilience strategies related to enhancing equity and opportunity throughout our workforce development system, and especially what the future of work will mean in a post-COVID landscape. With workers in California and across the country losing their jobs at record-setting numbers, we think the key to reviving the state's economic success lies in cultivating a 21st century workforce that facilitates enhanced access to education and employment opportunities. We think enhancing these access points will involve providing targeted education and training programs while also strengthening and incentivizing the public and private partnerships that promote equitable growth and career pathways. Um, in this Future of Work series, we're bringing together state and local leaders in education, business, and policy to discuss what is needed in, in, in way of systems improvements and what strategies are essential to repairing the existing gaps and bridge access and scaling effective development programs, along with other collaborations in order to ensure a more robust and diversified uh, California workforce. Now I'd like to introduce our moderator um, for today's discussion, uh, Michael Zinstein. Uh, the Education and Workforce Reporter with Cal Matters, who will introduce the theme of today's session and uh, as well as our esteemed speakers. Thank you so much and, and have a great day. Thanks, Matt. And good morning, or excuse me, good afternoon, forgive me. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to the third installment of the Future of Work discussions on how the pandemic has changed the way we learn and conduct our jobs. Um, Cal Matters is a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom committed to explaining California policy and politics and has been covering COVID's impact on education and the workforce. COVID-19 has ravaged lungs, emergency rooms, and the state budget. It's not every lifetime that a person can say California's unemployment rate tripled in two months, as it did between February and April. And though the state's labor health has improved since the ignoble high in May, the unemployment rate now is still at 2010 Great Recession levels. The hardest hit sector, leisure and hospitality, has shed more than 600,000 jobs in the past year, though sectors that tend to pay better, like business services and finance, have seen fewer job losses. Still, a total of 2.5 million Californians are out of work. How long the current state of affairs will last is up in the air. While pharmaceutical companies are racing to develop a vaccine by this fall, it's not clear that that alone will lead to a pre-COVID return to normal. The World Health Organization, meanwhile, doesn't expect to see widespread vaccinations until the middle of next year. The topic of today, in this environment of uncertainty, how can local governments, colleges, and employers press on to continue developing opportunities for new and veteran workers to progress economically and contribute to the state's prosperity? Uh, even before the pandemic recession, the economy showed a mismatch between productivity and worker pay. A Milken report from January noted that while productivity in California grew by 89% between 1979 and 2013, median hourly compensation grew by just 3%. Meanwhile, despite being home to arguably the strongest public higher education system in the US and numerous industry innovators, a third of California's workers <clears throat> in 2017 had low paying jobs, according to the UC Berkeley Labor Center. Black and Latina workers were disproportionately represented in those ranks of low paying jobs. 
Is there an on-ramp for better training, better pay, and more jobs that have people employed in the industries that have great long-term prospects in California? Joining us are four panelists who represent some of the most essential aspects of the training to work continuum. Dr. Soraya M. Kali, president of California State Polytechnic University at Pomona and member of the California Future of Work Commission. Abby Snay, Deputy Secretary for the Future of Work at California Labor and Workforce Development Agency. Jessica Ku Kim, Senior Director of Workforce Development at the Los Angeles County Economic Development Corporation. And Greg Nozel, Senior Director of Talent Acquisition at Northrop Grumman Corporation. Uh, thank you all for uh, joining us. Um, to, to the audience, I'll be asking the panelists questions for the first two thirds of this discussion, but please be submitting your questions um, during that time and we'll get to them toward the end. My first question for all of you, are there enough good jobs for all the college graduates and recipients of workforce training? Whoever wants to go first can go. So I, I can start off. I can talk a little bit about some of the opportunities specifically at Northrop Grumman. Um, it's a robust job market right now for, for Northrop. Uh, if I take a look just at the sites that I work at from Palmdale, California, we've got to hire 500 more individuals, both in the engineering and also in the trade disciplines. If I look down at Redondo Beach, we have 800 engineering positions posted today. Uh, we've got about 100 in San Diego. We've got 100 up in Sunnyvale. And so we do have a robust pipeline of open requisitions that we're continuously looking for qualified talent coming out of the higher education field. And I will just uh, add to that. And first of all, thank you so much. And I think that your introductory remarks um, really helped to frame um, that uh, not everyone across California uh, has the same uh, opportunities and access. Um, in terms of um, looking at the report by the Public Policy Institute. It uh, projects that by 2030, uh, we're gonna need uh, 1.1 million more college educated individuals to assume the positions that are available. And I think the person just talked about the, the openings. And so I think uh, the challenge for us is how to connect the opportunities and also how do we continue to build um, uh, on the knowledge and skills that are, that are needed. So as a college president, you, you feel confident that there are enough good jobs to absorb um, all the talented students that are earning degrees at, at your university? Well, I think what, what we focus on at, at Cal Poly Pomona, and first of all, we're a polytechnic uh, uh, institution, and, that, and our focus is, emphasizes not only the acquisition of the knowledge and the theory, but the opportunity to apply it while they are part of, uh, of the university, and it is through internships, it's through service learning. And so I think in terms of quote unquote good jobs, um, I think there are opportunities um, I, I hope that, and as you've mentioned, we have a College of Hospitality Management. And so when you think about where are the jobs, what are the sectors that the jobs are in, I think that's the, the uh, post-COVID uh, analysis is going to need to be done. And then how do we help to, or how do we contribute to rebuilding 
those sectors and creating new sectors of opportunities. Mm -hmm. So for some of our majors, yes, for other of our majors, but we track that and because it's intentional to make sure that our students um, are launched, if you will, into uh, opportunities. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Abby or Jessica, since uh, both of you work on, on uh, workforce analysis um, and, and um, you know, labor issues um, or employment issues, um, what do you think? Are there enough good jobs today to, to um, absorb all the incoming talent? Well, I think as Dr. Coley mentioned, um, the essence of our work right now is pinpointing where the jobs are and in an even more difficult way, where the jobs are going to be and really starting with that demand in building our training to that demand. I mean, a centerpiece of the labor agency's strategy right now, and you just spoke to this so eloquently in your introduction, Michael, is, is what we're referring to as a high road recovery, that we want to address the inequity and the gaps that existed before the crisis and plan to make them better as the recovery um, really gets into steam. And with a focus on equity, on job quality, and good jobs that offer people a living wage, benefits, stable hours, safe working conditions, and opportunities for advancement. And we do that both on the supply and the demand side. We've talked a little bit about the supply side, really preparing people for those jobs, and also looking at ways of, and um, Dr. Coley's a, an active member of the Future of Work Commission, which is looking at how can we make the jobs that aren't quality jobs in California better. So we want to both raise the floor and build ladders to the good jobs. Yeah, I would agree with Abby. I think um, I would also add, though, that the fastest growing segments of our labor market force are for low and high skilled occupational categories. So I don't know if the issue is necessarily, are there enough jobs? Are there enough family? Um, family earning good jobs, a living wage opportunity. And so when I look at the data, that's a concern that we continue to see our economy be bifurcated and stratified. Mm -hmm. Dr. Colley, uh, Cal Poly Pomona runs numerous hands-on programs and courses for students. Um, for example, uh, they get to work with NASA to develop high-tech products uh, and students who are studying hospitality run an upscale restaurant. Um, which I would like to go to one day. Um, but how does a polytechnic school with its emphasis on hands-on learning offer that when most classes are taught virtually? Well, one of the things that we are uh, doing, uh, you know, we're very focused on uh, first establishing the learning outcomes. And we still have some classes that are uh, meeting in this, in this uh, COVID uh, environment. At the same time, we recognize uh, that, uh, and, and our faculty have really focused on how do we achieve the learning outcomes even within this environment. And so there are cases in which uh, students are working in um, teams, they are connecting with industry. And so there are multiple ways in which students can uh, acquire the knowledge and, and the uh, understanding. But I think we also recognize that, for example, we have a liquid fuel rocket lab. 
And so what we have to do is to um, uh, set aside certain parameters so that we may have had a 10 person team. And so we can only allow five uh, on the campus at a time. Mm -hmm. um, but the focus again is how do we um, achieve the learning outcomes in different modes. And in some ways as, as challenging as this is, I think what it is doing to education in general is creating a much broader uh, a set of opportunities to connect with individuals who would not have been able to access this kind of experience um, um, uh, before. And one of the things that I wanted to also pick up that was just mentioned in the last two speakers and, and which is so, um, uh, I think so pertinent. I think the question is, did we have good jobs before the pandemic? And we recognize that for many of the populations, we didn't. And it is along race, ethnic, gender uh, guidelines. And what we, we also understand is that this is an opportunity for the state to really grapple with um, what will work look like in California. And I think under um, the Labor Secretary uh, Sue um, and uh, others on the commission, it's really looking at the, uh, the way in which we think about jobs and as mentioned, good jobs, which is when you think about the number of people who are working full time, even before the pandemic, working full time, but not getting a salary that allows for family of four to, um, uh, to live. I mean, so that's, there's a mix of issues that we're dealing with here in the state. And I think this is an opportunity for us to come together around that. Um, Greg, does a company like Grumman prefer a campus like Cal Poly where some of the academic programs give students something approximating work experience? Does Grumman even look at recent college graduates who, who don't have internship uh, experience or, or work experience or something approximating that? Sure. So uh, we partner actually with Cal Poly uh, in, in regards to a lot of our openings, right? So we go down there and we offer scholarships and internships to schools um, very similar, USC, UCLA, Cal Poly, Cal Poly Slow, and so forth. Um, and so there is a strong partnership there where we have an on-campus presence uh, in this environment, a very virtual presence today. Um, outside of uh, institutions like Cal Poly, uh, we also look at trade schools. Uh, we partner with community colleges. Most recently down in San Diego, we partnered with Maricosta and Palomar, where we had individuals come on and become engineering technicians while they continue to pursue their career. And then we end up paying for their bachelor's degree. And so um, it's just not the technical field or the technic, um, uh, or this, the engineering uh, expertise. We're also looking for individuals like mechanics, technicians that can work on the operations side of some of the products that we manufacture. Mm -hmm. um, relatedly, is higher ed still the best way to prepare current and future workers, or should there be more space for apprenticeships and other training that doesn't require a degree but still confers skills? And Abby, I want to make sure that you have time to briefly get into your agency's high road training partnerships as uh, part of the group sure. response to this question. Sure. 
Happy to do that and, and wanted to jump in and really build on, on what Greg just said. We need multiple pathways. And Greg just mentioned two of them. He talked about earn and learn, in which they're hiring people who are earning while they're still learning. And he talked about career pathways, starting with engineering techs and, and, and working up. We need multiple pathways. We need bridges. We need on-ramps. We need more apprenticeships. Um, our agency is proud that in the last two years, um, apprenticeships in California have increased by 15% with um, the establishment of a new interagency committee on a apprenticeship, looking at very innovative new apprenticeships in sectors that aren't used to having apprenticeships, such as cybersecurity, healthcare. We're having some really interesting conversations with our partners in agriculture, looking at possible apprenticeships in food safety, um, in irrigation management, uh, talking to partners in education um, around um, registered apprenticeship and teaching to build a teaching pipeline. But to your specific question, Michael, um, yes, we have invested heavily. And I think the centerpiece of our strategy is the high road training partnerships. And as we mentioned earlier, HRTPs, as we call them, start with the jobs and they start with good jobs. And then we build transparent, accessible, and predictably paid career pathways into them. We have eight high road training partnerships around the state. Within the next couple of weeks, we'll announce more. And then there's another competition for, for even more high road training partnerships. But currently, we're building career pathways in public transit, where there is an aging workforce um, and a, a need for new cleaning techniques right now and being ready for when people get back on public transit. Similarly, um, in water utilities, um, similar aging issues in healthcare, in janitorial, um, the janitorial HRTP with Building Skills Partnership in LA just developed a new certificate in infectious control cleaning, just to make sure that offices are clean when workers and, and customers come back, um, as well as port, hospitality, distribution, and, and logistics. So that is really just bringing together on a regional basis, high road employers, worker voice and training intermediaries who can really create pathways into these good jobs. And these high road training partnerships, my understanding is they don't necessarily require someone to have anything more than, than a high school diploma or is, is some higher ed experience nonetheless required? It really depends on the job. Again, we start with the jobs and train to the jobs. None of the current high road training partnerships require a, a four-year degree. And in fact, most will take people with high school or um, more limited education and mm -hmm. really work on building multiple sets of skills targeted to those jobs. Um, anyone else? Um, is higher ed still the best way to prepare current and future workers or does does the, the 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 pipeline pie need to need to give space for uh, apprenticeships and and other training? So yeah. I, oh, go, ahead, go ahead, Jessica. No, go ahead. Uh, well, you mean Northrop Grumman's doing a great job with the on the apprenticeship side, but I will say higher education absolutely matters. You know, I talked about our stratified economy. We have to focus on taking our low wage, low skill earners, transition them into these middle skill occupations. Take our middle skill um, individuals and move them into the high skill occupation. You know, the internet of things, digitization, the ways that our economy has pivoted require our education workforce 
um, apprenticeships, all of these different models to be uh, attuned to the quick pace of change. That's why a model like an apprenticeship works. It has an employer, like I know Northrop Grumman does, alongside an education institution, and they're joined at the hip. And there's flexibility, there's competencies written out, and they're constantly reiterating. It's constantly about that career path for that individual. So higher education, I mean, as Dr. Coley mentioned, 1.1, uh, the center, uh, Georgetown University Center on Education and the Workforce projected um, millions of shortage in post-secondary credentials for the future of work. That's, that's really hard to swallow as, a, as California. We don't want our talent going to another state. We don't want our businesses going to another state. We need to build that competitive workforce. So post-secondary education absolutely matters. Our community colleges absolutely matter. And our apprenticeships, we, that investment, how we calibrate to the needs of industry and understand and do that on an ongoing basis gets us prepared for the future of work. It's when we stop with a program, we design it once and think we're done, then we're not going to be prepared for the future of work. So that agility, adaptability, and scalability is essential. And I um, think that this is an ongoing uh, discussion. When uh, there's some projections that say that um, our students who graduate this year, by the time they retire, they will have 17 job changes across five sectors. And so when I think about my students who are coming in, many of them Pell eligible, low income, and they are coming in with the hope and the families are sacrificing with the hope that this education is going to launch them into other opportunities. What I believe and what we are focused on, we have an initiative called the Future of Work and Human and Civic Engagement. And it is, it, it understands that we're not preparing students for a single job. We're preparing them with a broad-based set of skills and knowledge that will allow them, and we will stay connected with them even upon their graduation, because there's going to need to be continual learning over their lifespan. The other thing that is also important is it's not only just people who are outside of an industry or of a, of a company trying to get in. It is also how are companies investing in the growth and development of their staff who are already hired? How are so-called dead-end jobs? What are the ways in which there can be greater partnerships across industry sectors, across uh, with higher education, with organizations such as the ones that are, that are represented uh, here. And also important is, and, and, and as a Polytechnic again, we are very pleased with the recognition that we are helping to diversify underrepresented fields, such as the STEM fields, where there are more women and more individuals, more people of color, who are going into fields. And so there's a whole array of, of pathways that I think collectively um, we 
uh, are focused on and is the intersection of our interest and our commitment and our values that are um, uh, that's allowing this I think to even be the kind of topic that we we are focusing on um, relatedly all these questions are related um, <laughs> higher ed is rightfully under the microscope for inclusion and racial equity we judge schools in part by their admissions and graduation rates across all racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic groups. When we look at job training programs outside of higher ed, such as apprenticeships or employer outreach programs, is the same concern for diversity there? Um, yes. I mean, when you and I had our, our prep call, Michael, we talked about some of the, the challenges about women in the trades. I mean, at this point, the vast majority of apprenticeships are in the building trades. And, you know, those building trade apprenticeships have just moved, you know, thousands and thousands of young people and working age adults into really good jobs in the construction sector, which is one of the few sectors that actually has remained relatively stable in the downturn as commercial projects have, at least on the commercial side, as commercial projects have, have, have continued. But gender diversity within the building trades and, and the trades in general is a real issue. And so, um, you know, working to increase the participation of women in the trades is really critical, as well as other people of, of color. One of um, our, our shining stars in the, in the state is our high road construction careers, which is a pre-apprenticeship training throughout the state to get more people and more people from diverse backgrounds into um, building trades apprenticeships. And we have an example we're working on in, in Fresno where we're looking at a pre-pre-apprenticeship that would be a bridge um, that Fresno City College is working on of contextualized um, English so that English language learners who may not otherwise have access to pre-apprenticeship, apprenticeship in which classes are conducted in English can do very short-term, concentrated, targeted English instruction in just the vocabulary and the language that someone needs to do construction work to participate in a program along with some math skills. So again, it's this pinpointing of, of training, you know, as well as outreach and support for people from um, communities who have not traditionally participated in some of these training programs, um, as well as getting more role models in. Um, in, in San Francisco, I was part of a um, pre-apprenticeship training for auto mechanics that had a priority of getting um, women into those um, apprenticeship roles. We were looking for role models and not a single mechanic in the city's uh, public transit agency was a woman. So we just had to start creating our own pipeline, but we need, and we need to build that pipeline. So we have role models. So young women and young people of color have um, mentors and, and role models and they can see their own future in them. Mm -hmm. um, Greg, um, you are um, an employer uh, on this, uh, on this panel, so when 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 you're trying to um, anticipate vacancies, um, how how do you how do you account for um, for diversity and inclusion beyond higher ed? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you take a look at our diversity strategy, which we've had in place for decades, it's always been at the forefront. We've gone out. We've taken a look at methods that are proven to work, whether it's removing unconscious bias on the way that we write job descriptions whether it's taking a look at the diverse interview panel and implementing those types of structures, taking a look at a diverse interview slate. Um, all of those processes have proven to work over time. And so 
to ensure that we're at the forefront, we make sure that we've got a very robust and strategic strategy to go out there and market to um, all candidates. So there is no adverse impact on certain populations. Once we end up hiring individuals into the organization, we do a really good job at ensuring that we're inclusive. Right? We've got employee resource groups that have continuously won awards over the years to ensure that there's a community. Right? And then we have rotational programs where individuals may decide to get a breadth of knowledge versus a depth of knowledge. And when I take a look at that, and I'll use software engineering as an example, somebody can come into the organization that may have transferable skills and we can teach them waterfall methodology for the first year. And then we can go into an agile methodology the second year. And they can rotate throughout the organization to really give them the skills that allow them to be competitive so their career can continue on their trajectory. So does that mean that every hiring committee at the company has at least one woman um, and at least uh, one um, uh, uh, black employee or, or, or Latinx employee? So there are best practices that, that we have implemented within the organization. Um, I can't speak to the exact practices and how we've implemented them and what they look like, but I can tell you that we have taken what's worked in the market today and we're currently utilizing those practices. Okay. And can um, I also just add, as you were talking about employers, because one of the things that has really uh, surfaced, and I guess it was surprising to me, is the large number of, while we, we certainly thought, think about corporate America, but it's a large number of small businesses and mid-sized businesses, and how do we reach out to them? Uh, because they also um, need to own and be a part of this, this push for uh, what we call quality good jobs. And I think that's part of the dialogue that we're having uh, with the commission. And so these outstanding companies like Northrop Grumman, I mean, they, they have a pattern, a history of having connected and so forth. But we really are appreciating the need to broaden the focus of employers um, that we want to uh, connect our students with. I would completely echo what Dr. Coley said. In LA County, we're over 90% small businesses. And, I, you know, we're talking about the future of work, and I think it's just important to also realize we can't take the paradigms that work for our industrial and manufacturing economy, right, where a company grew as they profited, they grew and their labor force doubled accordingly. We're in this different economy. And so the innovation intensity, the, the digitization, all of that is creating a different paradigm, a way, a different way that workers earn, a different way that employees are brought on board, the different way that they're upskilled. And one of the things that I know Dr. Coley's um, institution does is they do these cross-collaboration teams. And they're focusing on that innovation and that intensity that comes with it and the ability to do that. When we think about our EVs, redesigning a car, um, the way that a welder works with an engineer, with a designer, we want all those jobs here in California from design to production, like in North Grumman to export. We want all of those that are here. We just also need to make sure that that diversity starts younger that that exploration starts younger. We can't talk about it after they've earned the degree. We have to go down. And I would also put forth then, we can't just rely on our education and talent systems to get this information out. Because what we've seen is the inequality growth. We have our underserved communities 
where they can't afford work-based learning. They don't have a tech industry concentration around their school. And so they're missing out. We need to figure out as a state how to institutionalize and continuously provide a directly to our learners so that they're excited about going to work for Northrop Grumman. I mean, from working with a youth in Inglewood, they participated in Northrop Grumman's high school internship program, went to college, and now is majoring in engineering. I never thought about Northrop Grumman, but lived 10 minutes from it. Um, we need to think through and go younger so when they get to an institution like Dr. Coley's, they excel and they're excited about all of these different opportunities, but we can't keep only relying on our education and workforce and talent systems to get this information out. Um, Jessica, this question is, um, is aimed uh, for you. Um, how serious of a risk is, is automation? Um, take, for example, workers in the ports. These are typically union jobs, uh, or yeah, they're union jobs that pay well, but um, new technologies may mean more automation, displacing longshoremen. And retail workers who typically earn less are also at risk of automation. So it seems like automation affects a wide segment of the economy. Uh, given all that, what should companies and local governments do about it? Great question. So um, we are coming out with an automation report about the ports, so stay tuned for that. But um, in, the, in the work, yes, COVID-19 has definitely accelerated digitization. We see that in our education systems, um, our ports are being automated, parts of them, and we're seeing workers who are going to be displaced, um, who need to upskill. And that type of information, one, we need the data. We need to take all that great automation data and all of those trends and make it relevant to each of our economic regions because we're different. There are different concentrations, different employers, different, different levels of employees, and we have to dig deeper in that data and analysis, but we have to vet it with our industry partners like a Northrop Grumman to understand what's that pace. Are we talking about 25% of that job, 100% of that job? You look at the EV industry, I think an automobile has 20,000 parts. Our electric vehicles, I think, has 200. There's a significant shift in that industry in terms of the workforce. And we want to upskill our, our Californians before they're displaced. So one is the data and analysis. Two, we got to vet it with our industry partners. We have to do better in understanding it. And then three, we need all of our workforce and talent systems doing what they do best so we can lever their strengths to upskill our workforce. So whether we're, again, we're taking middle skill to high skill, we're taking low skill to middle skill, we need each of them at the table committed and doing it across their entire system. Companies don't want to have 19 different conversations with 19 different community colleges. We need to figure out that regional relational infrastructure where this is ongoing, the data is consistent, the validation is consistent, and employers are working hand in hand. We can't do it without employers. If you want high utility, education, apprenticeship, workforce programs, we need you at the table. We, we want to give you that deep, competitive base of talent, but you have to come. So with automation, it's happening, it's coming, all the data is out there. We need to figure out our strategy so that we don't have individuals going back into a community unemployed, where families are wondering about paying rent. We need to start those strategies now, and each region needs to do it, and I would hope the state would fund it, 
um, and continuously do it so that infrastructure, that intra and interrelational infrastructure exists so employers know exactly where to go. Um, so we're going to move it to audience questions. Um, this one is from Eugene Fram. She wrote in to ask, uh, what can be done to help the unemployed folks aged, uh, ages uh, 45 to 65 whose jobs have disappeared? Eugene says retraining will help a few, but there needs to be more creative thinking for this group. Who wants to answer that? So I can talk uh, a little bit about one of our partnerships that we have with the Antelope Valley Community College. Um, we hire individuals, whether it's right out of high school or whether it's somebody trying to start a new career in their 50s or 60s. Uh, we put them through a training program that lasts 12 weeks, gives them the technical aptitude to get ready to work on an aircraft. Uh, and then we employ them and we bring them over. So um, once you get your foot into the door, I mean, there are plenty of our vice presidents that started on our shop floor. So there's an opportunity right there to, to end up working for an organization like Northrop Grumman. Mm -hmm. um, anyone else? Is this thesis even true? Um, is, it, is it harder for folks um, who, uh, who, are, who are between 45 and 65 to, to, to find work, to reskill, um, to, to do what needs to be done to, to afford life? Um, is, is that a correct observation? I think it depends on the sector. It depends on the job. Um, but there are retraining opportunities up and down the state. Um, you know, many of our best, I think our absolute best, is, as Greg mentioned, done in partnership with higher ed and the private sector. I mean, I would advise, you know, I would certainly want to know more about your, from your questioner about the industry that person's coming from, you know, where that person wants to work, how those skills can be leveraged. But um, at a time like this, we all have to really be creative about looking at how skills transfers. One of the initiatives that um, we've been working on at the Labor Agency in very close partnership with the Department of Public Health is expanding contact tracing throughout the state. And so, you know, that is a very critical element of controlling transmission. Um, we are hoping to hire thousands, you know, at the county level. Um, and, you know, these could be really good short-term training opportunities for people who've lost jobs in the hospitality sector and restaurants and retail who really are skilled in developing trust with someone and, and developing a relationship, getting someone to open up. Um, and, and so I think that they're... There definitely are no easy answers, but are opportunities. I would also say to Abby's point that that occupational crosswalk that's competency-based would help thousands of Californians in order to see where they're at, know how to upskill, know what they're a good match to, and build that in so that each individual coming into a job center, coming into a university, coming into high school, can clearly understand where they're going and what is needed. And that needs to be continuously updated. It is difficult, I will say, if you're not in a technology intensive industry and you wanna transition to make that and to really understand how to get there. I think we have to make it easier for our Californians to access all of our different talent and education systems. Yeah, but and also really, taking a look at what those transferable skills are, right? If you're coming from a different industry, understanding what transferable skills you have and aligning those to the openings of the employers. 
employers are opening up the aperture and taking years of experience in lieu of some of the basic qualifications that you've seen in the past. And that's going to be extremely important when individuals start applying to jobs. I would say that, uh, for example, uh, we at Cal Poly Pomona are transforming um, now uh, uh, what used to be called Extended University, but uh, it's the College of Professional Continuing Education. And so our focus now will be uh, not only on degree programs, but certificate programs, industry sector courses, professional development, personal enrichment. And, uh, and as talked about, I think the thing that, uh, as with most things in our society, it is those who have the knowledge and the access. And so what we have to do is to, I think, have a broader communication network uh, across uh, such programs as reflected here, uh, 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 community colleges, high schools, um, uh, universities, such that people know that there is a resource for them. And part of our challenge too in California, as with some other states, is the digital divide. I think that that digital divide has become front and center in the COVID environment. And so we need to be able to, uh, to the extent, as, as mentioned, there are, when you look across the state, um, there are pockets where there just is not the access to the information that's needed. And so I think this is a wonderful time for us to not only recognize the problems, but to begin to link and to uh, partner in a way that we, we had not looked at before. If we, put the, if we put the individual at the center of our thinking and our planning, then how do we link in a way that benefits uh, the, the, uh, the outcome. So a lot of it is the information and I think that it can be extremely um, uh, scary. And so how do we, we really take that talent uh, and, uh, and utilize it? Um, Abby, this one is for you. Uh, this is from a, uh, an, an, someone who works at a government agency um, and uh, they say that um, they they struggle with um, refilling um, positions uh, vacated by um, uh, workers who are, are retiring. So they specifically want to know how they can participate in um, HRTP programs. Um, any 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 practical suggestions for uh, possible employers interested in this? Well, um, the. Um website of the California Workforce Development Board um, has a ton of information on HRTPs in the resource package that will be available through this webinar. Um, there's some high level information um, and um, somebody can get some basic information. The, I would certainly, I would love to talk to this person actually and would be happy to um, share my email information to find out just where this person is working. The state government is really looking at how to open up the pipeline. Um, you know, all levels of government have an aging workforce. We are um, actually working on an initiative we're calling Pathways 
um, into state service pass um, to really open up the pipeline um, for state jobs so that people from underserved communities and less traditional background can get um, kind of a leg up and um, a closer pathway into different state jobs. So um, I think we are recognizing within um, the workforce field, with certainly within the workforce agency, that when we want, when we talk about quality jobs, public sector jobs are good quality jobs, um, mm -hmm. and they do tend to have aging workforces, so they're really good opportunities. Greg, I think this question is for you. It's from actually Abby. I think this is a former colleague of yours, but I'm not sure. Um, Annie Tottenen. Tottenen. I'm oh, yes. sorry. Yes, Annie. Yes. Um, <laughs> Okay, so sorry, Go Annie, for butchering your last name. Um, so Greg, um, this seems to be a question for you. She, um, Annie wants to know um, about, um, about how to get the tech sector to adopt, adopt registered uh, apprenticeships en masse. And the reason I turn to you is because um, your company has a robust apprenticeship program. So um, if someone is trying to advocate uh, for an employer to, to put in the work to, to have an apprenticeship program, um, what does that work look like? Yeah, you know, I, I think that starts with the relationship. And uh, a lot of the apprenticeship programs that we've built here at Northrop Grumman, it's because we've gone out and we've sought the relationships within the local community. I mentioned the Antelope Valley Community College, the College of Canyons, we're currently putting a program in place there. Um, it goes two ways, right, the communication. And, and we are open to continue to build these robust pipelines of apprenticeships. Mm -hmm. um, I'll use, um, you know, a program that's it's funded out of the Department of Defense. It's called DOD Skillbridge. Uh, essentially, that's uh, it's the DOD Skillbridge, Department of Defense Skillbridge. And essentially, it's individuals that are transitioning out of the military. And they may have the clearance that we're looking for. And this program allows individuals to come on site and learn the skills that are necessary to be more competitive for once they transition out of the military. So they come on site five days a week. Once they transition out, they can then compete for an opportunity to work not only at Northrop Grumman, but any of our competitors or competitors that we have in the market today. And so we've seen a lot of success and, and really it's just outreach. Reach out to the organization and we'd be more than happy to sit down with you to continue to build a robust pipeline of talent. So should, so who, who, who needs to demonstrate the agency? Who, who needs to put in um, the legwork? Is it, is it someone trying to create the apprenticeship with the employer or is that is that typically how it works? Are you approached or do you approach? So um, it's worked both ways. And, and so um, I've been approached uh, and we've also uh, approached agencies um, to really develop and sitting down and developing what that curriculum looks like. Uh, mm -hmm. In cases, we actually have employers go out and teach the classes at some of the local trade schools or community colleges, right? So it's, it's an open communication dialogue and essentially we're both trying to achieve the same thing and that's trying to get as many people employed, employed as possible. Um, this is a question from Stacy. How can we help people living with disabilities also be part of the current and future workforce? Well, let me just say, I'll start um, that uh, we have students who um, have uh, disabilities and we are very invested in uh, their learning and uh, also, as we are with all students, uh, tapping into interest and tapping into opportunities to uh, participate in a variety of um, applied learning 
uh, experiences. And so when our students um, uh, leave and they graduate, uh, we know uh, because they have, we have fostered and promoted um, an awareness of their strengths. That's one of the things that we just started this uh, first uh, year in terms of the strengths finder because we wanted our students coming in to know that you bring um, uh, knowledge and you bring uh, traits and, and characteristics that uh, it doesn't need to mirror somebody else. This is, these are your strengths and that being here, we want you to build upon them. And so we want, um, I think for disabled students as with all the students, it is encouraging, uh, providing a wraparound support and connecting them to uh, opportunities beyond the university. I agree. One of my favorite, um, one, of, one of the strongest programs I know about is that out of Verdugo Workforce Development Board. And they have partnered with their adult education, their community college, made it a seamless application, brought in nonprofits to provide support services for individuals who are autistic. And they are teaching them CNC machining. And the aerospace industry here is hiring these individuals. They have found a really good pathway and onboarding process, brought all the support services around it, catered to the industry that exists within our economic region, and has been able to do this. And these are living wage opportunities. So I think it's looking at those, finding, bringing employers. I know Northrop Grumman onboards some of these graduates too. Taking a look at that and really, um, thinking through how do you make it seamless and how do you make it into a living wage opportunity again is, is just so essential. Yeah, and Northrop Grumman has partnered with a lot of organizations. Um, uh, Disability Inc., which is formerly USBLN, is a conference that we go to every single year. We do offers on the spot. We've got a workforce accommodations team to ensure that there is a smoothless transition into the workforce. Um, and so there's really an opportunity for individuals and we embrace it, right? Very inclusive culture where we encourage and embrace uh, individuals with disabilities to, to join our organization. Um, so we're gonna probably go until um, 2.04, 5 p.m. I know Abby has to go at, at, at two. So this question is um, probably for her. Um, this is, this is from an affordable housing developer and consultant, and they want to know um, how workforce development programs um, and affordable housing can, can, can be married um, so, that, um, so, that, uh, so that there are partnerships um, for, um, for affordable housing and employment. And I, I guess this is, a, this is an Abby or Jessica question, but you know, Abby, uh, first dibs. Sure. Thanks, Michael. Yes, um, I, I'm, I'm really happy to, to get that question. One, some of the most exciting work I've been doing um, in the last few months has been in partnership with the um, state's um, Office of Housing in um, really looking in a um, kind of cross-departmental, multidisciplinary way about um, jobs in housing, in housing construction, and in um, housing management, um, homeless services, we did a whole analysis of what those jobs are. And then um, when um, Project Turnkey 
was announced this summer with, I think, 600 million going out to create affordable housing throughout the state. Our agency um, worked with um, housing development to build in workforce standards and practices into the solicitation so that we could ensure that some of the construction that would be going on to renovate, so this is to renovate hotels to increase affordable housing around the state, would include um, good wages and labor standards and um, pathways for, for training. Um, so I think there are just many opportunities um, at the state level and more importantly at the local level and one of them and there are many good practices around the state is working with um, people who've been formerly homeless um, and helping them develop skills to work within affordable housing within um, supportive housing to do um, desk clerk roles other kinds of roles as a pathway into um, the housing field where there are um, really good career pathways and really good jobs. Okay. Yeah, um, I just, would say first, thank you for affordable housing. Yes. <laughs> so yes, please build. But uh, and also um, our unions, our unions are great partners. They have a lot of pre apprenticeship. They have we have MC3 curriculum up and down the state that you could utilize our high schools that have trade programs and um, academies geared towards that Our youth build. There are a lot of different programs that you can can connect with. And I would say start with your workforce development board they'll be able to help you partner. Okay, and then um, workforce development boards, Jessica, um, that's not just for employers, that's for a lot of people, right? So um, so how, who are the kinds of folks who, who, who can uh, benefit from, from one of those? Sure, um, so our workforce development boards are pretty much your stewards of your America's job centers in California, really thinking through as Dr. Coley mentioned, diversity, equity, um, as Abby well knows, how do we lever our funding to get the most impact to move folks into living wage opportunities? But it's made up of businesses. If you're a business that needs help, you, you can go to them. They can help you with recruitment. They can help you with um, sourcing talent out of our Cal job system. We also, they also operate our America's job centers. So if you are an individual struggling to find a job, you can go there to get assistance. North of Grumman partnered with our county workforce development board where I'm a commissioner and they uh, partnered to support them to onboard over 300 individuals um, locally and to recruit and to lever their system to help streamline that for North of Grumman because we wanted our local residents to move into those opportunities. So they're a great place to go. Um, we have, I think, 45 or 46 of them up and down the state. But America's Job Centers, you can stop in any time or go on virtually. Okay, Abby, any last thoughts since uh, you have a you have a cutoff? Um, I just want to thank you um, and Cal Manners and, and Milken Institute for bringing us together and for really bringing these important issues to the forefront. We are in multiple crises right now, but it is a cliche that in crises there are opportunity. And we and I think it's been great to bring together people from these multiple sectors to show how there are pathways forward um, to really create good jobs to get people um, back into the mainstream and, and doing better than they were before. So thank you. Okay. Um, thanks. Um, 
I'm just gonna I'm gonna let every panelist um, remaining give give um, a closing thought. Um, you know, so we'll go on for like uh, one or two minutes. Um, and uh, let's start with uh, let's start with uh, Greg. Any any closing thoughts? No, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk a little bit about what we can do in regards to the future of our workforce. Um, we're hiring, so if you are interested uh, in opportunities at Northrop Grumman, please apply. So thank you. Uh, Dr. Colley? I, I too want to thank you for uh, this uh, vital and important uh, topic. And I want to say that, um, you know, there's just no greater uh, work than supporting uh, the growth and advancement of individuals. And it is along the entire continuum because I think one of the things we, as, as has been touched on, is it needs to start early. It needs to start in K-12 because people who feel as if their options and opportunities create a different mindset and pursue these, uh, these opportunities. And so we need to reinvest in uh, making sure that people understand that it's not a dead end, that you may have to take a different path, but that um, California is a state that supports your, uh, your growth and your uh, advancement. And I too wanna thank uh, uh, being on the fellow panelists because I know that with individuals such as these, um, you know, we're gonna give it our all. Jessica, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Colley, thank you. Um, Jessica, closing thoughts. Yeah, I just want to thank CalMatters and Milken for this opportunity. It's so important. We absolutely need regional businesses and education and labor partnerships to work together to meet both our supply and demand sides of our economy. If we're going to be resilient, if we're going to look at equity, not as political punchlines, but as socioeconomic imperatives, we all need to be at the same table to institutionalize these things, to constantly update them, and work across and lever the best of each of our institutions have to offer. Okay, uh, thank you, Jessica. Uh, thank you so much uh, to the panelists for uh, taking an hour out of their incredibly busy uh, schedules to, um, to, uh, to uh, inform us and educate us and uh, for, for sharing what they know. Um, I wanna thank again, the Milken Institute for partnering with us at CalMatters to create this Future of Work event series. Uh, if you missed any of this discussion, you can watch it again, as well as all of our past events. Uh, they live on the CalMatters YouTube channel, as well as on the events page of calmatters.org. Uh, we also have podcasts of these conversations, uh, which are at our um, podcast hub, soundcloud.com slash calmatters. And again, if you are able to support our nonprofit, nonpartisan journalism at this time, make a donation via our homepage at calmatters.org. Stay healthy, stay safe, take care.